Well, another busy week of football is ahead of us, but first, let's look back at the previous week. It's been another interesting week of Premier League football with some controversy, some shock results, and as always, we are here to talk about it. So here we are, episode 13 of the Armchair Managers podcast. I'm Ross Evans with my co-host Dan Newton. Hello. And as always, I've got to get straight into it with the Prem Roundup of the weekend just gone. Uh, interesting week, wasn't it, Dan? It was, yeah. It was a, a quite an entertaining week of football, I think. Had some really good games. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we really... We've got to say, that, first of all, that yet again, we failed to predict a single fully correct result. Yeah, we, I mean, at um, this point, we're never going to get one right, are we? No. I mean, although we did predict a Tottenham win... So yeah, I, I'm going to take that as a big W for us. <laughs> um, we both predicted Tottenham to come away uh, with the win. We did both predict that they would concede, but it didn't happen. Um, what was your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it was really good. I was, uh, you know, I watched the full game. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of this new kind of Spurs side on the Mourinho. I think they're you know really good, and it was that kind of classic Mourinho performance, wasn't it? Just kind of mm. 11 men behind the ball, counter-attacking really well and making it really frustrating for Man City. And I think, you know, Spurs yeah. really deserve the three points. Yeah, and um, another assist for Harry Kane. Yeah. Is there anywhere? Is he going to become a James Milner where he'll play wherever he wants? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as he gets older, he's definitely going to move into midfield, I think. It'll be a bit like, uh, you know, Wayne Rooney as he started to get older. He just literally plays, you know, I mean, he's still playing now. He plays centre midfield for um, Derby. And I wouldn't be yeah. surprised to see uh, a Kane do something similar. I mean, he's already yeah. now playing more like a number 10 than he is a number 9. It's just if he can yeah. keep up his goal scoring with these uh, new assists as well, which I think would make him, you know, one of the best players in the world. Not just one of the best yeah. strikers, but best overall players. I mean, you have to say he's already up there, isn't he? Certainly is. A striker, we know his finishing ability is incredible, um, but obviously he's now showing his passing ability is just as good. And you've got to say that he's certainly is a number nine. He probably is the best in that position in the world at the moment. Yeah, I think and, maybe Lewandowski might disagree yeah. slightly, but um, I think <laughs> def- definitely. I think I think the only question with Kane has always been, you know, he's been doing it for Spurs. You know, it's not like he's playing in the Champions League every week and. You know, even when you know Spurs made it to the final, he was injured for a lot of that run. So I think the only yeah. kind of question mark is, can he do it at that very you know highest level? Which I think most yeah. of us think he can, but you know he's just got to prove it. Yeah, um, and that win sees Tottenham currently sitting on top of the table ahead of uh, Liverpool in goal difference. Uh, they deserve to be there, didn't they? They do. Yeah, you know we've we've spoken a lot about Tottenham um, this season and how I mean I'm certainly a huge fan of them. I think they're really good and I think I said it last week or the week before you look at their um, results so far and they could easily be four points clear you know you go back to the Newcastle game the West Ham game they probably dropped you know four points for only getting draws there and yeah you know in a different world they're four points clear and they are like probably the favorites right now but you know I think it all comes down to how Liverpool will cope with their injuries which again we talked about last week but you know I think it really is Spurs and Liverpool's really fighting for it and um it's a lot more interesting this year than in previous seasons yeah um as you've mentioned it we'll move on to liverpool game against leicester quickly liverpool coming away with a 3-0 win where 
we both predict that Liverpool would struggle against a lesser side that played really well and missing some key men, they did have some returning. We, you know, we saw Robertson, who we thought was going to be out injured, he played. We saw Fabinho, who we thought was going to be out injured, he played. There were some issues with Firmino, his fitness level, he played and he finally scored. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Liverpool actually looked really good, didn't they? It did, yeah. I think arguably that was maybe their best performance of the season. Which you know, considering how many players they had out, it, it was you know fantastic and really impressive. I think yeah. it was an important one as well because it kind of psychologically shows that even with all their injuries, they are still the team to beat in the Premier League. Yeah, and I mean, especially at home, that is now sixty-four games unbeaten at home. Yeah, I think that they broke the record, didn't they? Yes, I think I think it's a club record. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm pretty sure that the home, the current Premier League record is Chelsea under Mourinho, and I want to say it's 74. So they're not too far off. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, and you'd probably expect them to maybe match that and keep going because you would never bet against them at home. I think in all no. competitions, who have they lost to? Maybe Atletico Madrid, and that's about it. I think. Yeah, it's it it's incredible what Liverpool are doing at home. Um, it's and to do that without the players, like the key players. You know, we see Salah's out injured. We know the quality that Thiago can bring. Trent Alexander-Arnold can run a game from right back. Um, it's really incredible to see that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and you think you know up against a team like Leicester, who are a very good side themselves. You know, they, when they went away to Man City and they completely, you know, destroyed them on the counter attack, it just goes to show that you know that that three 0 win is is huge. And you know, maybe yeah. Leicester didn't put in as good a performance as they did against Man City. And obviously, they didn't because they lost the game. But you know, I think that was more to do with how Liverpool defended and how they kind of marshaled that uh, Leicester counter attack. And... Yeah. And... Sorry, go on. So Vardy didn't see any service. You know, we've got to say that despite being, you know, the defence maybe. There's always issues around Joel Matip's fitness. Um, yeah. Man's made of glass. It, how they dealt with Vardy and the pace of, you know, Barnes as well, I thought was spectacular. Yeah, definitely. I, I can recall maybe Barnes having one chance in the first half, but yeah. to be honest, I didn't even realise, you know, Vardy was on the pitch for most of the game. He, he was mm. really frustrated and I think... Liverpool never gave him many opportunities to actually get him behind them. You know, they really stuck tight to him, which I think is how you have to defend against him because if you do let him run in behind, you know, that's how he gets his goals and he will punish you. And I think going back to when Leicester played Man City, you know, that's why they lost the game. And maybe they're a bit naive to go up against him like that. But um, yeah, yeah, it just shows Liverpool, even without maybe their star players, they're still such a a well-drilled and organised side defensively. Yeah. And as we said, said uh, Firmino grabbing his goal. Um, I know in the rules of the game, it's not a goal. But he had a goal which everyone thought was in. Uh, but it turns out it didn't fully cross the line and the ball was one centimetre out. Yeah. In that situation, do you think that maybe there should be a change in the rule? As a Liverpool fan, I'd like to see it because then Bobby has two and we wouldn't potentially win 4 0. But if the majority of the ball is over the line, and I mean the majority, should the goal be given? Because I, how do you know? Being if it comes down to it, where it's 
you know, the, if that situation happens again and you lose a point or two points on that decision, you lose a, could lose a title by one centimetre. You know, we saw it happen to I mean, Liverpool two seasons ago. Yeah, I was about to say that. I mean, it literally happened against Liverpool, you know, in the Man City game. But um, for me, I, I think with something like that, it's you can be so cut and dry about it that I'm okay with that, um, you know, being the rule. You know, we talked about it a few weeks ago with, you know, penalties, where for some reason, for penalty decisions, you have to just be on the line. But for everything else, the football has to be over the line. Um, but no, I think for goals, like, you know, I know obviously last year there was a bit of a, I think, with the Aston Villa-Sheffield United game, um, where the yeah. goal line uh, technology didn't work. But I, I think, you know, you can do it so accurately now that I'm okay with it coming down to those margins. Um because, you know, it, it's so rare. Like, it's very rare that we see something like that happen. And uh, it's quite entertaining what it does because it, it was such a, you know, a close chance. And, you know, we're talking about it now. So, yeah, no, I, I'm fine with the rule as it is, as long as, you know, the technology works. Yeah. But speaking of, we will get on to technology that perhaps doesn't work as well later on in the show. Um, if you can guess what that might be, um, you can. You can always let us know what you think it might be, but uh, you'll find out later. Um, The other game we also picked out was Leeds versus Arsenal, which played out in a boring nil-nil. Well, not a boring nil-nil. Yeah, Um, it's quite an entertaining nil-nil as uh, nil-nil draws go. Uh, Leeds hit the woodwork quite a few times, and I really think Arsenal were definitely kept in it by a goalkeeping perhaps masterclass, but Certainly a solid, solid performance with Bert Leno in goal. Yeah, he was, yeah, and he didn't have an awful lot of protection in front of him. But it's a you know, a very poor performance from Arsenal. But uh, yeah. no, I think Leno proved why he is kind of he is he is a good goalkeeper. I know some yeah. Arsenal fans had this, you know, love affair with Martinez, who obviously is at Aston Villa now. But, you know, I always I always felt that Leno was the better goalkeeper overall. And I think yeah. he showed that he is good enough to um you know, compete in that kind of top six area for goalkeepers, I think, in the Premier League. And it's not really a, a position Arsenal needs to worry about. I think they need to worry about a lot of things, which uh, we'll talk about later on. But yeah, I think that he's a good goalkeeper for them. Yeah. Um, as If you were an Arsenal fan, even or even as a neutral, would you be worried about the sort of lack of creativity and attacking um, impetus that Arsenal have at the moment? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they've been solid defensively or um, you know, against Man United and against a couple other teams. I actually think they they weren't that solid against Leeds. I think Leeds were just unlucky not to uh, score a couple goals. But um yeah, I th- I think definitely the more sort of worrisome area is going forward and the, the kind of creativity. And um well, it doesn't help when your right winger gets sent off for a headbutt either. No. Um, again, something we'll discuss more later on in the show, but a moment of madness, really, isn't it? And Arteta in his uh, post-match interview, clearly unhappy, well, clearly furious with Pepe for for headbutting uh, Alioski. Yeah. So, um, there's no defending him, is there? No, it's not. You know, it's textbook red cards. It's just stupid. Um to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the end of his Arsenal career, you know. Came in for such a huge price tag, never really lived up to it, and hasn't really been performing, even in the team that often. So, yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised if 
you know, under a manager like Arteta who seems to not be yeah, afraid to phase players it's out. It's troubling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I, I suspect that they'll probably look to move Pepe on um, in the next transfer window. So, staying on the topic of Arsenal, obviously we talked about the red card. There was a VAR check. I mean, there was never any doubt that it was going to be a red. Yeah, um, it's, yeah, very clear and obvious decision. Yeah. What other issues did you see in the Arsenal performance and perhaps Arsenal in the whole season? How do you think they could be fixed? Yeah, um, I mean, every time we've kind of brought Arsenal up, we've talked about either, you know, them sometimes being good defensively, sometimes not. But the whole thing is they have lacked creativity, which you just mentioned. And, you know, we, we joked about it last week. You know, Meza Erzul is there in the reserves, not registered. And I think they yeah. could definitely use someone like him in the team. And I think in general that, you know, they've lacked creativity. You know, Aubameyang playing off the left wing when really he's a striker. Um, you know, he's had to score goals, not create them. You know, Bakayo Saka's played well, but again, maybe hasn't been a starter for Arsenal. And has played a lot of football for England, so maybe, you know, he's a bit of a, you know, they don't want to risk him getting injured, which I think he did against Leeds. He had to go off, I think. So I, th- I think there is worries. I think... There's problems from the system Arteta plays, where he definitely tends to favour these more industrious kind of defensive midfielders. And I think, you know, in the forward areas, I I don't know, there's just not a lot of chance creation there, or it doesn't seem to be anyway. Do you think that Arteta's system, he's playing a sort of a 3-4-3-3-5-2 formation, and we see, as you've mentioned with Saka in England, they play a similar system. Um, do you think that he needs to move with the squad he's got? He needs to move away from a three-back formation until he can make some signings that actually fit that system. Because as you say, the two industrious sort of holding midfielders don't really work, and it kind of leaves the creativity to the wide players. And a lot of teams are sort of they're not really struggling to cope with that at the moment, are they? Yeah, no, I agree. But I think, you know, against Leeds, they did start with a 4-3-3. So I, I think maybe Arteta is kind of, you know, thinking similar kind of things where he, he realised maybe he needs to go to not necessarily a more attacking formation, but maybe a more kind of familiar one where, you know, players are more used to playing in kind of a, a 4-3-3. I think it's one of the more common formations and it's easier to kind of create chances and kind of, you know, the positions a bit more, they're less kind of specialised. So I think yeah. maybe he's kind of realised that and, you know, I, I don't think they were helped by, you know, Pepe's red card. You know, I think maybe if they had 11 men, they maybe would have played better and they would have created more chances. But, I, I you know, I think, I don't know, I, I just, he's an odd one. I think maybe it's a combination of they weren't playing the right system or they haven't been playing the right system. But also I think maybe players are just out of form. You know, I think they played Danny Ceballos um, is one of the centre-mid players who his only role is to create chances. You know, he's very much a, a Meza Ozil uh, type player. Um, I think he does yeah. a lot more defensively, but he's kind of that technical sort of passer of the ball. But again, he just didn't play well. So it's I think it's a combination of you know players out of form and not quite having figured out the right system yet. Yeah, and you know players out of form, and you know as we've mentioned him a couple of times already, Pepe is definitely not in form, and he, I don't think he really has been at any point playing for Arsenal since he signed at the beginning of uh, last season. Do you think he's, he's, you mentioned that you think it might be the end of his Arsenal career, um, but do you think that he's struggled to adapt 
to the Premier League, or is it just the system that he that isn't working? Maybe struggling to understand his role in the team. Um, potentially, but um, I think if you compare his stats from what he's done at Arsenal to when he was at Lille, it's night and day. I think you know Arsenal in total, he's played what? Just looking at it now, he's played thirty nine games, scored six goals, and got six assists. At Lille, you know, just in his last season, he played 38 games, scored 22 goals, and got 11 assists. You know, it's been a huge drop-off for him. And, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, the Premier League is arguably a, a much harder league to play in uh, than the French League. It's a lot more physical, a lot maybe faster-paced. And maybe, yeah. you know, he hasn't adapted to that. But I think to see such a dramatic drop-off um, in return is... I think it tells more of maybe he hasn't settled in England rather than just playing in the league. Maybe there's something, you know, not quite right off the pitch or he's not really, you know, likes playing under those managers. You know, there's been a lot of off the field changes for Arsenal and I don't yeah. think either of them have really got the best out of him. But um, yeah. I just think for such a huge price tag as well, I think Arsenal well, are going to have to... 72 million, something like that? Yeah, it was around that, yeah. And um, I think Arsenal will just try and get whatever they can back and move on because you think of the players you could get for that money you know what they're talking about last year's uh last summer like zaha for 50 million and he's a proven yeah. premier league talent you know i think yeah. in hindsight arsenal will wish they went and got him instead yeah and he's a player who wants to who's you know been quite vocal and is wanting to move away from palace and you, you know try and challenge for a place in a bigger team and Arsenal might be the right place to do that because they're a bit of a sleeping giant at the moment aren't they yeah I mean Zaha's an Arsenal fan as well you know it was you know it's a match made in heaven but for whatever reason it didn't work out Arsenal maybe didn't go for it um when they should have but uh no Pepe whatever reason just has not worked out at all Mm. and speaking of players who are also out of form Lacazette looks to be a bit lacking in confidence doesn't he yeah um you know i think he needed a big season because he maybe didn't have the greatest of seasons last season either and now it's just i think it's difficult to fit that arsenal forward line together because if you only play with one striker up front you know you're not going to play lacazette over Yang. at least you shouldn't do to force you to maybe put Yang on the left wing which mm. as we've seen you know he's got a couple goals there but I don't think you get the most out of him. So I think it's a tough one for Lacazette because he's probably not quite good enough to be starting every game, but also probably doesn't want to be sat on the bench, you know, playing backup. So yeah, it's, it is difficult, but um, I think, you know, Arsenal just have a lot of players out of form right now. Yeah. Um, So we're sort of on the Arsenal section of this, you know, in comparison to their North London rivals, um, what three things would you like to see that you think would put them up there contending again? Um, I think I'd like to see a kind of tactical consistency. You know, pick a system and stick to it and try it out. You know, I think you know the ba- the best thing Spurs have going for them is that they have Mourinho as manager, who knows his system and has brought in players to specifically play that system, and. You know, that's the only system they're going to play. They're going to play on the counter-attack. They're going to be very solid defensively. I think Arsenal needs to do something similar where they just go, right, this is the system we're going to play. This is our, you know, brand of football, if you like. You know, you think like when Wenger was manager, everyone knew how they were going to play every game. 
It was just, are you good enough to stop them? And they had a very and clear the identity. And the answer, a lot of the time, particularly in the sort of early noughties to, you know, towards the sort of first couple of years of the 2010s, no, not many teams had the answer. And as you say, they knew how they were going to play. Yeah, I mean, it was very clear, you know, he had his style of play. It's the same at Man City with Guardiola. It's the same at Liverpool with Klopp. You know, these managers have a system and they have a, you know, a footballing identity, if you like, if you want to use that kind of terminology for it. And I think Arteta needs to decide what his system is going to be. Is he going to be a Guardiola? Is he going to be a Mourinho and play defensively? And I yeah. think trying to find this middle ground isn't quite working for him. So I think they yeah. really need to decide on that, decide on a system and start bringing in players that are specialised to play in that system instead of changing it every week, depending on who they're playing. Yeah, yeah, I think I absolutely agree. Um, what would your point number two be? Um, I mean, it's a very specific point, but it would be to bring back Meza Ezu. Um, I think he is a quality player, and I think how he's been treated at Arsenal has been a bit ridiculous. Um, I think they definitely need his creativity. Even if they are going to play defensively, you know, you're going to need someone like him to unpick a defence. If you've got less players on the pitch, you know, you need real yeah. quality on, in the players that are attacking. So for me, yeah. I'd want to see him back in the team. Yeah, I mean, we can all say that his def- we know his defensive work rate isn't at the level that you'd want it to be. But do you think that's worth the sacrifice? Like maybe if you're playing with someone who can foil him, Someone who's a really industrious box-to-box defensive midfielder that, you know, the like the El Nani we saw against Manchester United. Do you think that sort of player would work really well with Özil and could cover his lack of defensive ability? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think whether it comes down to the system, if you play four-two-three-one with two holding midfielders, or you play him alongside someone like El Nani who has the work rate to, you know, cover for two players essentially. I think, you know. The problem of Arsenal is they're not scoring goals. Well, you've got a creative player that can, who is literally known for assisting goals. You know they need him in there. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. Um, in whatever way they can, and I think, you know, they're going to struggle without his creativity. Yeah. Um, and the final one that you would point to, what, what would you go for? Um, it's it's tricky to really figure out Arsenal, but I think for a third point, it would just be a bit more consistency. You know, I, I talked about having an identity, but consistency in selection and trusting players a bit more. Like, I'm a huge yeah. fan of Bakayo Saka, and I think he's not done anything to say that he shouldn't be starting for Arsenal. So it seems strange to me that, you know, most times I turn Arsenal on, on Sky Sports or whatever, and he's not really playing. He's on the bench often. And I think that's just an, an, odd, an odd decision. Um, yeah. So I think he needs to maybe trust uh, the young players a bit more and the players that are maybe want to be Arsenal. Do you think there's a bit of a Alan Hansen, you can't win anything with kids sort of mentality there? Because, you know, it's, it's like he's a young player and it's a lot of managers, you see Klopp does, it says if you're good enough, you're old enough. You know, Dortmund in Germany petitioned to have the uh, age that players can make their debuts at lowered to 16. And then they've, you know, they named a 16-year-old on their bunch on their bench because they think he's already good enough. Yeah, um, I mean, not just named him on the bench, they brought him on for him uh, yeah. in Ireland as well. And he, so he played. And so do you think that Arsenal need to 
sort of adopt that mentality of if you're good enough, you're old enough, because it doesn't look like they are doing that at the moment. They're doing a bit of a sort of, um, oh, here's our tried and trusted solid six out of ten, and yet we got someone who's younger who could be better than the, who we're playing, but he's too young, so we won't play him. Do you think there's an element of that? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Like I said, I think they've got a lot of quality youngsters. You know, you think of Eddie and Ketier as well. Um, I know Maitland-Niles isn't that young anymore, but he's still, you know, in the kind of earlier um, stages compared to a lot of the other members of that squad. You know, um, Reese Nelson, uh, who's uh, who's the other one? Um, a lot of young centre-backs as well. Uh, Martinelli, yeah. I know he's been injured, but I think when he's fit, he should be in the team. And I think, you know, they're kind of wasting that young talent. And I think, they, obviously, you can't just play the youth team. You know, that, that doesn't work like that. You need a blend of talent yeah. and experience. And I think, you know, if you put those young talents in there, maybe with someone like, you know, I'll go on about it again, but like a Meza Urzel there, who can actually be a bit of a leader and lead by example. Um, I think Arsenal have... You know, a potentially very exciting team. They just don't seem yeah. to want to play those exciting players. Yeah, I, I've got to say I have to agree with those points. Um, you know, I'd add as well for me personally, Abamyang has to play through the middle. <laughs> play your yeah. players in position. That's maybe plays into part of the tactical identity. But you have a twenty-plus goal striker when he plays through the middle, and you're playing him on the left wing. Yeah. It doesn't make sense because you're trying to fit in an out-of-form player. If he's out of form and his confidence is low, get him out of the limelight because that's not going to help because he's going to become a scapegoat for anything that goes wrong. Oh, we didn't score a goal. It's Lacazette's fault because he couldn't score. And then, you know, this all becomes his fault even when he's getting a lack of service because he's playing the wrong midfield. Yeah, so, no, I, I, I agree with you, yeah. I think he could definitely yeah. be way more effective through the middle. Yeah. And, as always, you could always attempt to bribe VAR. <laughs> Speaking of VAR, um, we saw it used to check the red card. Definitely a red. But there was, yep. it was used a couple more times over the weekend. Um, we'll start with the handballs. Um, the Gabriel Jesus handball. For me, I'm, we, I know we, you put a poll out on this one. Yeah, well, um, when we were, you know, live tweeting the games, I put a little poll out to see kind of what the general feeling was. It it was a tight one, wasn't it? I think it finished fifty two percent agreed that it was handball, and forty eight percent of uh, of the voters said no. Um, do you agree with them, or are you, are you just like, no, it, it's it's not a handball? I think you know, because when we're talking about handballs, we always have to think about. Well, what's the rules this week compared to last week? You know, how has it changed? Am I up to date on them? Um, rather yeah. than whether we think something like that should be a handball. But um, I think based off how I currently understand the rules, I think it probably was a handball. I think it was just low enough to be counted. You know, I think if it was a little bit higher, it wouldn't have. I think it was, you know, the T-shirt line or whatever it is they call it. You know, I think yeah. it was just below it. Um I think it's I think it's an unlucky one because it has just you know bounced up onto his arm, but um, yeah. no, I do think they got that one right. Yeah, and then the second handball we saw was Joel Matip. Um, there was I know on some social media platforms and sports-based uh, social media sites they were 
convinced it was a handball and that it was a blatant handball. Um, VAR checked it. They said no. For those who didn't see it, the ball was... It did hit Joel Matip's hand. We have to say it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It clearly hit his arm or his hand, yeah. The argument I think to be had there was, was the hand or the forearm, was that within the natural silhouette of the body? I, as a Liverpool fan, personally think it did. And I think you have to say as an objective football fan, it was there within a natural sort of hanging position of the silhouette. Your arms are down by your sides. It don't... It did look like he it turned his hand turned out slightly, but I think personally I think that was a natural movement in reaction to the ball being played. I don't think there was any intent to like there was no deliberate handball there. Yeah, it was it wasn't intentional. Um, I think the other thing to say is that I think the ball was quite close to him when it yeah. when it uh, came into his path. So I think, you know, he didn't have very long to react. Um, for me, it's one of those where, you know, you've seen him given. You know, you've, you've definitely seen him given this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. How many decisions have gone, you know, rightly or wrongly. There has been a lot of handballs uh, given. And I personally, I'm 50-50 on it. I, I can't call it either way. Um, I think, again, like I said, you've seen him given. You've seen him not given. Hence why, you know, it wasn't given. So... That's one where I, I would like the ref to look at it and have it go down to his discretion of the rules because yeah. they should know the rules better than I do. And for me, it's yeah. 50-50. So, you know, like I said, I'll, you know, trust the referee's judgment on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to the handball that uh, Tottenham gave away against Liverpool in the Champions League final. It was, you know, the ball rifled at them from a short distance that hits their arm. So I wonder if that is now taken into consideration as well. But as you know, as we said before, the handball rule seems to change every week. Yeah, because there's uh, probably d- about nine different versions of it since that handball. Yeah, <laughs> there's nine different versions, and each version is interpreted in a different way by a different referee. So it's a tricky one with handball, but I think we'll go with the public opinion at the moment and say that VAR, that's the wrong one, isn't it? Um. Yeah, what, yep. do you, what do you mean? Um, yeah, VAR got it right. Yeah. Um, the public probably disagree with that, so uh, we'll go against yeah. the public opinion and say that we think, maybe with a little uh, bias towards Liverpool, um, yeah. from you maybe, that uh, it was the correct decision. But Certainly I mean, you, not you, helping yeah. the Liverpool conspiracy. Yeah, I mean, if you think it's not a penalty and, I, and I'm 50-50, then yeah, we could say it's not a penalty. Yeah. I'm I'm tempted to say that it's not. I I think if I was playing in that Leicester side, I'd be furious that it wasn't given. Um, and you can see from the reactions of the players, I think it was James Madison who plays the ball and he's instantly running towards the referee. He's instantly running towards the referee. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I, I'm torn on it. But as a Liverpool fan, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to live up to our Liverpool conspiracy and uh, which of course took over Twitter but Twitter was very quiet on the Varchester United um, incident that yeah. happened with the penalties yeah and now... in, in the Manchester United game against West Brom um... just uh, I, I don't quite understand why the penalty was overruled for West Brom I'm going to say did 
I mean, player. Bruno Fernandes he he's got a touch on the ball, I think. Mm. I think it's, but... it's a small touch, but he has, you know, got to it first before he's got to the man. Yeah, but we see a lot of challenges where they get to the ball first, and the follow-through is what, you know, it's in the rule now, the follow-through is dangerous, which it has, which it was in that situation, because the studs were up on his shins. So the follow-through is dangerous. That would have been given us a free kick further up the pitch. I don't think it would have been overturned if it was further up the pitch. So why is it different in the penalty area? It shouldn't be, quite simply. No, 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 I agree. If it's a foul on the centre circle, it's a foul in the penalty area. So I'm, I think VAR got that call wrong, but did get the retaking of the penalty for United right. Yeah, no, I know. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, as frustrating as it is that shock Man United win a game again through a Bruno Fernandez penalty, um, I just. <sighs> It's, it seems that VAR has helped them along the way. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, you know, we look at all these different charts and stats and say, oh, this team's benefited most from VAR or this team's been the worst affected. And I think Man United are the one that has benefited the most. But yeah. can you really say that many of them are incorrect? You know, I think maybe, you know, the penalty that should have gone in West Brom's favour was probably the only incorrect one I can really remember. Um, yeah. I think, you know, as much as people may not may not like to admit it, VAR was getting the decisions right for United. It just happened that maybe it's through the way they play or their players or whatever, or, or just pure coincidence that VAR happened to be giving them penalties for correct decisions. Um, and again, I think Sam Johnson is clearly off his line it, and it clearly should be retaken. Um, by the yeah. rules of you know the new penalty rules, which whether or not you think it's the right kind of rule, you know, should goalkeepers be allowed to stay on their lines or come off it? You know, um, yeah. that's a whole different question. The rule is if you're off the line, it gets retaken. Mm. And Sam Johnson also tweeted out after the game that players shouldn't be allowed to sort of hop or skip or jump into the shot from the penalty. Uh, do you agree with that? Because I'm, in, I'm inclined to agree. I know it's an element of trickery, but, you know, call me old-fashioned, I just want to see people running up and booting it rather than trying to deceive the goalkeeper because it's a 50-50, really, whether a keeper saves a penalty anyway. It's, you know, you can do your research, but even if you dive the right way, you're not guaranteed to get it. Do you think that that should be removed from the game as well? Or are you quite happy to see players, you know, like, Fernandez and like Jorginho sort of jumping and hopping into a shot. Possibly. Um, I know a couple of years ago there was all this talk about, you know, when people would like stutter before they ran up, and I thought that got made, you know, against the rules and they had to be retaken if they did that. But obviously, I, I must be wrong on that, or or they changed it um since then. But um, yeah. For me, I think maybe, um, I mean, it's clearly very effective, um, based off of Fernandez's record, um. So maybe it should be changed because maybe it's making him, you know, very easy to score all the penalties. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just part of the game, you know. If yeah. you want to find that fine line between what is allowed in the rules and what isn't, then you know, I think that's interesting. Try to find those little nuances that can play in your favor. Um, so for me, I don't have a problem with it. 
but um, I can understand why uh, people would be frustrated with it. Yeah, um, it, it, you know, and do you think the goalkeepers, you know, staying on their line, do you think that is detrimental to goalkeepers saving? Do you think it reduces their chances of saving the penalty, or do you think it really shouldn't make too much of a difference? Um, based purely on the fact that a lot of goalkeepers seem to dislike the rule, I would say that it probably does affect them and make it a lot more difficult to save the penalty. And um, for me, I didn't really think there was an issue with penalties. Um, I liked where they were over the last couple of years, and I don't really know why we changed the rule. So for me, yeah. I'd like it to go back to the old way. It's not like goalkeepers are sprinting five yards off the line, is it? You know, they're a couple of you know centimeters off it in some occasions. And, yeah. You know, I think weirdly, I quite like seeing penalties be saved because it makes it more interesting. It's it's more exciting than seeing a penalty go in, anyway, for me. Yeah, it's certainly one of the more in terms of aspects, the many aspects of goalkeeping. It's certainly one of the more tricky things to do is to save a ball being blasted at you from 12 yards. So it's consider and considering the size of a goal as well, it is exciting to see a keeper make a save. So, but I think you have to consider that if a goalkeeper is stood on his line and he can't move off that line, and yet a keeper can try and uh, a outfield player taking the penalty even can try and deceive him that maybe they should remove the rule about staying on the line or keeping one foot on the line because it does seem that it puts it into a penalty really massively favours the attacker. Yeah, I mean, if you've got Bruno Fernandes playing hopscotch when he runs up and a goalkeeper's got a stand perfectly still on his line, it is a, <laughs> a very different um, scenarios to be in. Maybe yeah. it's slightly unfair when you consider that they're basically not allowed to move until he's kicked the ball. Yeah, it's certainly not the fairest of things. So we're to the final part of the show now. We're going to, where we usually do our predictions, so we're going to make it a little bit different this time because of the Premier League games on this weekend, there's only one real sort of marquee match. There's also yeah. Champions League back. And every week we speak about the Premier League teams and how we think they're going to do. And all of them are in pretty good positions. I think all the Premier League teams are top of the group at the moment. Uh, I believe so, yeah. So I think the more interesting games, I think uh, particularly like in Man United's group, the... You know, it's a real showdown between PSG and Leipzig, and then you've also got Inter, who are you know a historic European giant, versus Real Madrid, who, again, as we know, are just one of the best ever European outfits. So, I thought we thought maybe we'd have a look at those games and sort of try and predict those and what we expect to see and you know how their Champions League campaigns have gone so far. So we'll start with PSG and Leipzig. Um, both of them maybe not performing quite as well as we thought they were going to in the Champions League so far. Um, what's your thoughts on the game, Dan? Because I, I think PSG are going to be out with a vengeance, aren't they? Yeah. Um, you know, I've always said since the start that you know, Group H is a very tricky group. They've got Manchester United in there as well, um, who I think have beaten um, Leipzig and PSG yeah. already. Um, so you expect them to maybe be favourites to get out. Um, but between Leipzig and PSG themselves, you know, it's going to be a tight game. Um, PSG really need to win it. I think if PSG lose this game, then they're probably out of Champions League. Um, yeah, because they'd have I mean... to 
win both their next games and rely on other teams dropping points as well. Yeah, because, you know, looking at the table now, Manchester United and Leipzig are both on six points, whereas PSG and Basak Sheke are both on three. Um, United taking that loss, actually, to Istanbul, Basak Sheke, but, you know, if PSG lose to Leipzig and United uh, win, then even if PSG win their next two games, United and Leipzig have only got a draw to put them both on ten, and that's PSG out or into the Europa League. Yeah. So, you know, to see a club of PSG standing with the players they have not make it out of the group would be a real shocker, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, it would probably give them a, a free trophy because they almost certainly win the Europa League if they did go into it. Um, but no, I think, you know, because it's such a must-win game and with the, you know, quality they do have, I would expect PSG to to win this one. Um I think it will be very tight, but um, yeah. I think just that kind of almost, you know, it's almost a knockout game, really. And I think that kind of edge will hopefully elevate, you know, PSG's kind of performance to get the win over Leipzig and make it a much more interesting kind of last two games. I think that'll be, you know, level on points. Yeah. And then moving on to the other game in the Champions League we picked out was Inter versus Real Madrid. Now, this is interesting because these are the two teams that we sort of said we're going to go through, that we're going to, you know, get out of their group with relative comfort. And at the moment, they're the bottom two teams, Real in third and Inter Milan in fourth. Um, Odd group, that. It's completely flipped to what we thought it was going to be. Yeah. um, To be fair, there's not a lot of points in it, you know. No. So, um, Mitch and Gladbach are top on five points and into a bottom on two. So, you know, it's only a win really in it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mel- M- Madrid and Milan both end up um, top, um, you know, above uh, uh, Shakhtar and Mitch and Gladbach. Yeah. But, you it's... know, it's a tricky tie between the two of them because, you know, you think Milan really need to win it. Hmm. And Real to keep up their uh, European heritage, so to speak. You know, can, can you ever think of a season where Real didn't make it out of their group? Um, no, not really. No, nothing comes to my mind. It's it's, it's odd. I, I know they're struggling in the Europa League. I don't know how they're doing domestically, but do you think that Real Madrid are you know sort of a failing superpower they're just not quite able to attract the same level of superstars they did before when they sort of built their galacticos and that you know all these brilliant fantastic players we know that they've signed over the years and the ones they have signed that hazard isn't performing yeah no i'd agree i think most people would say that this current madrid side is nowhere near you know the level they've been at the past few seasons i mean it's why they had to bring zidane back as managers you know they weren't performing um, but I think it, you know it's really important for them to get out of the Champions League, mm. and um, I don't know. I think I think if Mucha Gladbach and Shakhtar were to draw the next game, that would make it possible for Milan and Madrid to both get out. But I think yeah. if Milan are realistically going to get out, then they need to win this game. But if Madrid win it, then I think Madrid should do all right. Yeah, and I mean Real Madrid currently fourth in La Liga, uh, six points off Real Sociedad in first. So you're not, they're not doing doing terribly domestically. You'd expect them to be a bit further up the table, 
but than fourth, you'd expect them to be in first or second. But they're not. They're only three points off with a game in hand on Sociedad in first. So they're not too far off. You would count them out of the title race already. But... Yeah, no, they could definitely uh, you know turn it around. But you know, it's not the start they would have wanted to have. No. So. <sighs> I mean, do you, would you still back Real in this game, or do you think that Inter could provide a shock? Um, I think Inter Milan are a good team. You know, obviously they did well in the Europa League last season, but um, and and again, actually similar to you know what we said about PSG and Leipzig, I think the fact that Inter Milan will know that they have to win it could help them a lot, and I and I wouldn't be surprised if they did um actually take the win and make it a really interesting last two games as well. Yeah. Um, speaking of interesting games, we move to the only Premier League fixture that we've picked out. Um, Chelsea at home to Tottenham. So, I mean, that's going to be, that could be a thriller, couldn't it? Yeah, it could, yeah. Obviously in the Premier League, not the Champions League. Um, yeah. <laughs> that'd be a strange group. Um, but no, yeah, that could be a really good game. Um, two of the sort of inform early sort of, you know, title challenging teams i think yeah i mean do you think we're going to see a similar style of play from spurs that we saw against man city where possession isn't you know something that they're too interested in it'll be well let's keep a clean sheet and get a goal and just see it out you know that old Mourinho style that we're used to seeing of it's a top team so you know a draw isn't the worst case scenario and as long as we don't lose it's not an issue yeah, uh, I suspect so, especially, you know, away from home. I'd expect Mourinho just to do what he does best, you know, park the bus, hopefully hit him on the counter-attack with Kane and Son and maybe Bale if he's fit. And um, Yeah. I mean, I, I would probably expect Spurs to win that game, you know, even playing that way, just the way they've been so far. It's hard yeah. to get, uh, back, uh, go against them. I mean, Chelsea defensively have looked a lot better with... Thiago Silva, we know he had a sort of a rough first game, um, but he now he's their defence looks a lot more solid and Mendy in goal looks really good. I think he's kept seven clean sheets in nine games for Chelsea so far. Yeah, um yeah, he's done well. He's certainly been an improvement. Yeah, he he, he I mean anything was an improvement on Kepa. <laughs> Yeah, um, the only thing for me to say is that, you know, looking at Chelsea's results so far, they've not really played many of the kind of the top six around and they've tended to have quite a, you know, a, a good start based off of, you know, the teams they've played. You know, they've played Man United, which was a, a poor kind of nil-nil from both sides. Obviously lost yeah. to Liverpool. Um, were very, you know, they were dominated by Liverpool. And they also got knocked out of the League Cup by Spurs on penalties. So... I would say, you know, Chelsea kind of need to prove that they can beat the rest of the top six of the season because they haven't done it yet. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely back Spurs on this one. I can, And I could yeah. see another 2-0 like against Man City. Another 2-0? I, I have to agree. You know, Spurs are a team that I've thoroughly enjoyed watching, um, particularly this season. I, You know, they got a big sort of... Uh, boost and support from the Amazon documentary who yeah. if, I mean if you haven't seen it by now what are you doing it's that is a fantastic club it's re it seems to be really well 
run uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic documentary you know it's really interesting yeah. to hear someone like Mourinho be so kind of open in it and um yeah. allow that kind of insight but um definitely to kind of you know I've always been a fan of his but uh yeah I've not been a huge Spurs fan over the years and it's kind of turned me around on them to the point where I kind of want to see them do well and want to see yeah. Mourinho do well I have to I have to agree with you the um change I think the change in perception of Tottenham now over the last sort of season and a half even under Pochettino um you know they were uh, became sort of an attractive football club they played some really nice football um and then obviously lost their way a bit after the Champions League final and Mourinho's got that back with that a slightly it's still Mourinho you know it's Mourinho's style of football but just cuz he's the types of players he's got available with Kane with Son with Bale it's slightly different. It's it's a little more potent, I think. Yeah, well, it reminds at, you more of Mourinho at you know Real Madrid than yeah. Mourinho at Man United, for example. You know, he's got much better players, and he can actually play not attacking football, but kind of counter-attacking football, which is still entertaining to watch. Yeah, and having said that, I think we are going to see what is a sort of attack-minded, sort of forward-thinking Chelsea team. I think. That I'm going to have to agree that you can go 2 0 as well. I think Tottenham will catch them out on the break. And, you know, if it's Chelsea, you've got to try and find a way to nullify Harry Kane, I think. Yeah, it, I think and that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, yeah. You know, I think Chelsea are a good team. But, um, again, I've said it this whole season, I think this is more of a transitional season for Chelsea with the amount of players they brought in. I'd expect them to maybe finish top four. But, um, no, I think Spurs will just have that edge as sort of their players are more familiar with themselves and had a coming to their peaks where Chelsea maybe over the next couple of years will see them, you know, really challenge for the title. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's something to look forward to at the weekend. But in the meantime, we do hope that you'll keep yourself safe. Um, if you're still in lockdown measures, even if you're not in a lockdown we do hope to keep yourself safe and thank you so much for listening if you aren't already following us on twitter please do the twitter handle will be in the description of this podcast and until then we'll speak to you later